This morning we are privileged to have Dana Brush, Reverend Dana Brush, Prush. Sounds like Brush, Prush. Um, she is the director of the Center for Pastor Leadership and Alumni Relations at the Nazarene Theological Seminary. And uh, she was in town for the uh, conference that uh, Pastor Brian is at, and she has graciously agreed to come and speak to us this morning. Bill said he's going to control me. <laughs> he's got... <laughs> Let's see, which one is your wife? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. She's, she's got a strong voice. I think might be tough trying to control her. She's got that uh, work day ready to go. Yeah, yeah. She's a lady who knows what she's about. Um, it's a real honor to be with you today. I always appreciate someone who sits in the front row, row so thank you, Josie, right? Um, it's an honor to be asked to preach somewhere. Uh, so thanks for, for letting me um, fill Pastor Brian's shoes. You may know that um, it's a young clergy conference, so we had about 70 of us around tables trying to encourage and challenge our young clergy. Um, it's not easy being a pastor in this day and time and cultural moment. So uh, continue to um, invest in Maria and Brian and their ministry here um, and encourage them. Um, I used to pass, well, I... A long time ago, I lived here in the area, right out of college, so I, I love the area. There's about three million more people here since, <laughs> since I was here. Um, yeah, lots of, lots of change. Um, had the opportunity to pastor in the Kansas City area when I finished seminary, and then Raleigh and Nashville, so I've been in and around the, the south for a while, but it's good to be back here in the D.C., Baltimore, Balmer area with you. In talking with Pastor Brian, I just wanted to get a little sense of who you were and your context here. He said you were kind of in the, uh, he had in a transition with uh, his sermon series, and so just pick something. And uh, I, th I thought Mark 4 might be really helpful. We just completed a preacher's conference at the seminary, and one of our um, presenters talked about Mark 4, chapter 35. Um, and I'm going to read to verse 5-1, and some of the concepts that he really surfaced there made me think of you and, and your own particular moment as a church and as a body. So um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, Mark 4, starting with verse 35, and I'm going to read through chapter 5, verse 1. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. He was already in the boat, so they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although some other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm arose. High waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly full of water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Frantically, they woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you even care that we're about to drown? When he woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, Quiet down. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And he asked them, 
why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? And they were filled with awe and said among themselves, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the land of the Gerasenes. So this is God's word for his people. Thanks be to God for that this morning. Well, you see this painting up here. Um, This is a painting that hangs in my bedroom at home. I got this a number of years ago when Winslow Homers, uh, the artist, the painter, his, um, his works were on exhibit at the Nelson Atkins Museum in Kansas City. Winslow Homer painted uh, primarily after the Civil War, so 1870s and bumping up to the turn of the century there. Um, and for me, this painting communicates several things. First, it's, it's rather aspirational. I've always sort of had a fascination with sailing and learning to sail. I even took classes in, yeah, in the Kansas City area, of all places, uh, to learn to sail, but I failed miserably. I capsized not one, but two boats. Um, so haven't tried to take it up lately, but I've, I've always wanted to learn how to sail. So this painting is, um, makes me think of that kind of bucket list that I want to check off, uh, that bucket list item. Um, on the other hand, and on a more positive note, if you will, this, this painting is evocative for me of, well, just kind of an ordinary day. So you have, um, there's four friends there or four siblings. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. They seem to be enjoying uh, the, the, the wind and the waves. Um, it's really peaceful, a kind of a um, image for me. The main characters they just appear to be kind of at ease. A great day on the Chesapeake Bay, if you will. And you may, might notice the, the, the one boy in the, in the foreground near us, he's, he's steering the rudder, and he's actually he's looking out on the horizon. And some people have interpreted this as maybe um, Winslow Homer's attempt to communicate optimism and hope for the future. Again, he'd paint, he was painting after the Civil War and towards the turn of the century. So I, I just really like this painting. It communicates, again, just a peaceful scene, a lovely, ordinary afternoon. And the name of the painting is Breezing Up. I mean, that just communicates joy and fun to me. So it's one of my favorite paintings and one of Winslow's Homer's most famous. And it's a helpful image for us to keep in mind as we talk about Mark 4 in the passage that I just read for you today. Now, um, Mark's a much shorter gospel uh, than his counterparts there in Matthew and Luke. And he moves through the Jesus story much more rapidly than either those other two synoptic gospel writers. Um, but even by the time we've got to, to chapter four, uh, Jesus has gained a quitty, pretty quick reputation as a miracle worker, as a brilliant teacher, and the crowds have begun to follow him in droves. I think one of the passages before ours said that disciples were so busy with this new ministry that they didn't even have time to eat. Um, but I imagine up to this point, the disciples, the, the 12 specifically that Jesus has called up to this point, are kind of, you know, 
they're enjoying all of this newfound popularity hanging out with this Jesus guy. The crowds love him, and consequently, they love these 12 disciples that are following after him and attending to his every need. So, I don't know, by all accounts, life's pretty good for Jesus' disciples by the time we get to our, our passage today in Mark 4. And I can easily imagine the disciples like Peter and Andrew, James and John, all fishermen, kind of inserted into this scene, breezing up, smooth sailing. Life is good with Jesus. And maybe that's the posture that the 12 disciples, uh, as they all kind of piled into the boat with Jesus uh, the evening of our, our passage. It was It had been a long day of teaching, but I imagine they were glad the day was done. They were ready to um, get in that boat, relax. Maybe they were talking easily with one another, laughing, anticipating smooth sailing as they head out on the Sea of Galilee to cross to the other side, as we're told. Now, um, of course, the weather and the story quickly t- take a turn for the worse, right? <laughs> but before we get to our story specifically, I want to just back up to the first few chapters of Mark's gospel Because although it does seem maybe like there's a lot of smooth sailing for Jesus and his disciples up to this point, if we actually kind of dig deeper and take a closer look at those first few chapters, we see that there were some storms brewing on the horizon even then, even before Jesus and his disciples step into the boat. Um, Chapters 2 and 3 we find Jesus has already begun to kind of butt up against, argue, begin to argue and spar with the Pharisees for a number of reasons. One, they don't like his choice of disciples, Matthew in particular, who was a tax collector. They don't really like Jesus' views on fasting or lack of fasting. They don't really care very much. They don't like it that he heals on the Sabbath. And by the time we get to our text today, the Pharisees have already begun to accuse Jesus of being the prince of demons, an agent of Satan. So again, before the disciples even step foot into the boat in our story today, storms have begun to brew on the horizon. So back to our text, Mark 4.35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side. Now, most logically, Mark's simply talking about crossing to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, where his disciples are going to leave Jewish territory and enter into, um, you know, kind of an unknown space for them, a new territory, a new place of ministry for Jesus, a predominantly Gentile region of the country. Um, And of course, on their way there, they run into this storm. And all the while, the passage was a little humorous, Jesus is sleeping quite soundly and contentedly has his head on a little cushion there in the back of the boat. He's seemingly oblivious to the storm that's raging all around his terrified disciples. Don't you hate the guy who can sleep through a storm like that? Jesus is seemingly oblivious, that is, until the disciples finally decide, we got to wake this guy up. And so they frantically, you know, Jesus, Jesus, 
Don't you even care that we're about to drown here? Wake up. Snap out of it. Now, don't tell anyone, but I think the disciples' question here is pretty reasonable. <laughs> um, you know, many of them were, had been fishermen, at least Peter, Andrew, James, and John that we know of. They've probably encountered somewhere along the way a bad storm uh, as they've been out fishing of an evening. So we've got to ex- assume that they have some experience with bad storms. So this one must have been so fierce that it caused even the most hardened fishermen, the most experienced of sailors to be terrified, lose their nerve. And so in my mind, this question, though pointed and accusatory, seems appropriate. I'd be asking Jesus the same thing. Wouldn't you? Lord, how can you be so totally unconcerned when we're battling a hundred-year storm out here? I mean, it's Florence. It's Harvey happening out here. How can you possibly sleep so peacefully in the midst of this chaos? Jesus, for heaven's sake, wake up! Don't you even care that we're about to drown here? Thankfully, of course, Jesus does wake up. And he goes on to rebuke the wind and to calm the waves. He tells the water to quiet down. Shalom, be at peace, is what the text uh, says here, which really is evocative of an image that we see at the very beginning of our scriptures in Genesis 1. You may remember Genesis 1 and 1 and 2 say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, And the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so out of chaos, God brings order in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Jesus does the same here in our passage this morning. He goes on to miraculously rebuke the wind, calm the waves, and things are once more at peace, smooth sailing, for Jesus and his disciples. But after Jesus quickly dispatches the storm and brings order out of the chaos, he does turn to his disciples and he asks them his own pointed questions, saying, Why are you so afraid, guys? Do you still not have faith in me? Now we're only up to Uh, chapter 4 in Mark's Gospel. The disciples really are only just getting to know this Jesus. They're also apparently still just getting to know the extent of their own faith in Jesus. And as we continue to read through this Gospel, all the Gospels really, we'll see the disciples, well, they'll continue to struggle with fear and doubt As we get further along in this story, we'll see that when the going gets tough, the disciples get going in the other direction. (laughs) As we get further along in this story, we'll see that Jesus' disciples, when they find themselves in the midst of this storm and other storms, they will tend to lose their faith in Jesus. They will tend to doubt him time and again. 
And Jesus' questions back to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith in me? Well, these questions will come up again too in so many words. So as we think about this text and exactly where Mark places it in this particular gospel, maybe a good question to ask is, what exactly is Mark trying to communicate with the placement of this story here? In other words, is this a story about a storm, uh, a miracle in the midst of a storm? Or is this a story about discipleship? It is interesting that once Jesus and his disciples reached the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, they're immediately confronted by this demon-possessed man named Legion. If you were to go on to read about his story, he's a man who runs screaming up in the hills all day long, hitting himself with rocks. Jesus, the ever-compassionate one, responds immediately by healing him, driving that legion of demons into a herd of pigs that uh, hurtled down to their death down a cliff. It's, it's another incredible miracle story that we read about right after they get to the other side of the lake. And yet, you may remember that the terrified townspeople were told they're terrified after witnessing this miracle, and they begged Jesus to leave so even here on the other side of the lake, another storm seems to be brewing for Jesus and his disciples. And once they get back in the boat, go back to Jewish territory, Jesus will again spar with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. He'll be rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth. We'll read about his cousin John the Baptist being killed and the road ahead for Jesus and his disciples will quickly become very complicated and very, very dangerous. No more smooth sailing, no more breezing up kind of scenes for Jesus and his disciples. So again, is this a miracle story? <laughs> or is this a story about discipleship. Another thing that's interesting about this text is that it begins with an invitation that very much mirrors Jesus' initial call to his disciples. We, we find that in Mark chapter 1. Jesus meets up with Peter and Andrew, James and John. They're in their fishing boats. They're mending their nets. And Jesus extends to them, to them this summons you're familiar with. Follow me and I will make you Fishers of people, fishers of men and women. So one commentator puts it plainly. This is his perspective on this text. He says, I believe that the trip across the lake represents the Gentile mission for Mark. The storm at sea represents the storms in the early church as they sought to carry out Jesus' command to go to the other side, to cross to the other side, or to make disciples of all nations. Another commentator puts it like this. Make no mistake, Jesus is asking the disciples to change. 
in this very moment, he is drawing them from the familiar territory of Capernaum to the strange and foreign land of the Gerasenes. And he's moving them from being fishermen to being disciples. He's preparing them to welcome a kingdom so very different from the one they expected or wanted. The change they are facing is real hard and inevitable. And all of this becomes crystal clear as they realize the one who is asking them to change has mastery over the wind and the sea, and he is indeed the Holy One of God. So again, is this a story about a miracle or a story about discipleship? Yes. (laughs) And we should glean all the comfort and challenge we can from it. Because Mark does beautifully remind us that Jesus is present throughout the storm that his disciples encounter, right? He even tells us in verse 36, maybe kind of a throwaway line, but he tells us there that Jesus was already in the boat. Now, we know it's not uncommon that Jesus would uh, be teaching from boats because it gave him the ability to reach the the biggest uh, number of people when he would teach. But I do find it intriguing that Mark is sure to tell us that Jesus is already in the boat before the disciples start out on their treacherous journey across the Sea of Galilee. Mark is sure to tell us that Jesus' presence is constant throughout. He is with the disciples even if they don't fully comprehend that presence or trust it, especially when that storm begins to rage all around them. More than that, of course, Mark tells us Jesus is able to decisively calm the storm that rages about those terrified followers. They did have to endure the wind and the waves for a time, right? But ultimately, Jesus does overcome the storm and proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has power over all creation. All creation. The healing of human bodies, and the calming of the wind and the waves. (laughs) So, yes, this is a miracle story. A beautiful one. But it is more than that, too. For from the start, what do we hear Jesus ask his disciples to do? To cross to the other side. (laughs) From the start, Jesus asks them to go to a people in a place far different than anything that they've encountered, Gentile territory. From the start, Jesus asks them to enter into an unexpected and scary space and place. And once they get to the other side of the shore, what do they encounter? But right as soon as they step off the boat, it's this demon-possessed man that's ranting and raving. Nevertheless, Jesus asks them to cross. He compels the disciples to get in the boat and go with him. Because people on the other side of that lake, they need hope and healing and health too. Yes? They need Jesus too. 
Of course, again, when Jesus and his disciples finally land on the other side, it's not smooth sailing there either. They encounter yet another storm, a different kind of storm than the one that they encounter on the sea, but a storm nonetheless. And in the midst of this storm too, and in the midst of all of the storms that will follow as they continue to follow their Savior, Jesus Christ, in this journey, Jesus will ask his disciples to trust him. He will ask them to remember that he is already in the boat with them, ever-present in the midst of the storm, ever-present when they get to the other side and back again. So yes, this is indeed a beautiful story about a storm and a miracle that happens in the midst of it. And it's also a story about discipleship. So now let me turn and ask each of you, what storms do you find yourself facing? What storms might you be in the midst of? Hopefully, whatever kind of storm it might be, you can take comfort in the story from Mark's gospel today. Take comfort in the reality and in the promise that Jesus will be with you in the midst of the storm, whatever its complexion, however long it lasts. He's not necessarily going to prevent the storm from coming, but he promises to be right there with you. He's in the boat, friends. <laughs> so don't be afraid or lose hope or faith. But we need to consider another question today, too. Because this is more than a miracle story. It's a story about discipleship. And so, in light of that, how might God be calling each of you to cross over to the other side? What boat might God be asking you to step into today? What scary or unexpected relationships or places or spaces might God be asking you to venture into? forsake in order to be faithful to what God's calling you to right now. What individual people, but as a whole body. We've got a beautiful facility here and to cross to the other side. Where, how might God be challenging you as a church to cross over to the other side or to change in some way? How might God be calling you to embrace a new and different imagination 
for what it means to be a people of faith in this particular community and context and circumstances. What's scary in an unexpected places might you need to be willing to venture as a church, as a whole body, in order to fulfill your mission? I don't know what that looks like. But whatever it is, that mission, that vision, that call, let me leave you with one more image. Donna, you'd throw that up there. So when I was pastoring tossed about a sea tossed about on a sea of persecution, disbelief, hardship, it would not be smooth sailing for those early believers, right? After Jesus died and was resurrected. And so this ancient symbol reminds us, reminded the early believers of Christ's presence and power, even in the midst of storms, like the disciples encountered in our text today. This logo reminds us, too, that Jesus of the cross is already in the boat, right? (laughs) He's already present in calm waters or in the midst of the storm that we might encounter on this journey of discipleship, this trip across to the other side. Ultimately, this Jesus of the cross is the one to whom all creation has and will bow He has the power to calm any storm that might rage in and around us, friends. Amen? Amen. So, don't be afraid. Have faith. Have hope. Get in the boat and cross to the other side. And let me end today with with a, uh, a prayer. Some of you may be familiar with uh, St. Brendan. I had the privilege of going on an alumni trip this past May with uh, some NTS friends to Ireland. And um, it was a pilgrimage, and we revisited uh, several sites of uh, Irish saints. And among them, one was St. Brendan. And uh, his nickname was St. Brendan the Navigator, or Voyager. And he was a very inspiring figure, took a lot of risks to further God's kingdom. Um, He was known as a missionary, and he took off from the western side of Ireland, on the western side of the Atlantic Ocean, with 14 other monks. They built this boat together, and uh, they all got in the boat and uh, ended up being missionaries to Greenland and uh, Iceland and it's supposed that he even made it to uh, our mainland here in America. But Brendan and his 14 other shipmates, after they had um, built that boat, got in it, and the, the symbol or the ensign under which they would sail that boat out of the harbor was, of course, the cross, evocative of that image we just saw. And so let me end today with this prayer of St. Brendan for you 
individually, for you as a church, and I'm going to change the language from um, singular to plural. Would you bow your heads as I offer uh, this prayer today? Lord, help us to journey beyond the familiar and into the unknown. Give us the faith to leave old ways and break fresh ground with you. Christ of the mysteries, we, we trust you to be stronger than each storm within us. And we will trust in the darkness and know that our times even now are in your hands. Tune our spirits to the music of heaven and somehow make our obedience count for you. And all God's people said, Amen.